All right, welcome guys. Thank you. My name's Nick. Um, I'm going to be getting us into God's word here. And you know, um, I appreciate Paul, uh, you know, praying for the stuff that's been going on. I don't know if you guys feel it. I feel it just looking around, um, watching the news, whatever it is, just going, man, you recognize how unstable we really are, um, how falsely secure uh, we often are. Um, with all of our technology or our structures and our um, systems, we think we can kind of outsmart the curse, outsmart the fall, outsmart our own mortality. And um, some of these things really bring us to face it again. And uh, as hard as it is, I even just talking to my parents yesterday um, about certain things that have been going on in, th- in their neck of the woods that have been really hard with death and things like that. They're just seeing kind of revival uh, because of it. Um, hearts open. Guys that weren't open to the gospel before, uh, now open and things like that. So it's really rough, um, you know, the, the the pain and the suffering, but it's a it's the strange mixture where God kind of runs, weaves into it almost as well, this this redeeming work, um, and so we we just want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of the redemption, uh, the redemptive part. Uh, we want our own souls to be awakened to our truly desperate state and need for the Savior. We want to be a part of bringing that redemption to others. So I'll just say this: um, one of the things that I feel as a pastor of this church and really. Um, the at least solo, uh, full-time pastoral staff, I want to make it very clear um, that I, I see myself not as just a source of the congregation's vision, um, but as a steward of it. Uh, what I mean is, I want you guys to come to me with things that are on your heart. So, in other words, the reason why I bring this up, if you guys have connections to ways we can serve, I mean, this is no longer in, you know, Mexico or Vegas or Florida or whatever. I mean, even those places, if you guys have connections or ways that we can serve, we want to be a part of it. But now it's an hour away. I have a number of friends affected by this. So, uh, if you have a heart, a vision, a passion to uh, maybe gather, whether it's, a, you know, donations or you want to get a team together to go up there and see what we can do to, to serve, I, I, want, I, I exist to kind of steward that, to help you flourish in the vision that God puts on your heart. I can't be the source of everything, like I sometimes wish I could, but I do want to steward it well. And so, if you guys have ideas, if you have friends or connections or churches you know that we could partner with, let me know, okay? I just say that, put that out there, um, because I, I really want to do something, and I'm not quite sure what. But um, let's let's uh, let me read the the text for this morning, and um, we'll pray and, and and dive in. We're in Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter eight. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and we'll get one to you. But Luke's Gospel, chapter eight. Verses 26 to 39 is where we're going to be. This is now the um, second week that we'll be in this, uh, this text. So let me read it, pray, we'll dive in. Luke 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country 
This is the disciples and Jesus. They sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds, be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city, how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, it is um, our great privilege to get to gather together around your word around the cross of our Savior and remember afresh what you've done for us, who you are, what you've said. God, some of us come in this morning, no doubt, scared, distracted, anxious, broken, perhaps not Possessed by demons, but certainly influenced and struggling at their hand. But we need you to work in our lives the way that you worked for this brother. And God, I pray that uh, you would come by your spirit now. And do just that for your glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, so this is now my, um, as I said, second message on this text of what I think will be three. 
uh, messages. We'll, we'll tackle the third uh, next week. But the title of the sermon last time, they're going to kind of connect a little bit, and I want to briefly review um, for you. But the title of the sermon last time was Jesus and Demons, the Messianic Contradiction. And we looked in particular at how everything the devil is after in this man's life and in ours, for that matter, Jesus, the Messiah, has come to contradict, to push back against, to undo. Um, I gave us four instances of this contradiction uh, last time, and I, and I do want to look at them again here for a moment. The demons, we said, aim to pollute. Their uh, goal, their um, desire was to pollute this brother, right? That's why we read there in uh, verse 29 that there were unclean spirits within him. They just made him filthy in the sight of a holy God. And then Jesus gets hold of him and he washes him up. And we're told that he commands these unclean spirits to leave. The man's clean. We mentioned that the demons are aiming to expose or shame this brother. Not just guilt, not just filth, but shame. Uh, You see that where this man was walking around just naked, just completely exposed to the elements. And he wasn't living under uh, shelter of a roof. He was living out in the open, we're told. Just exposed. But then Jesus gets a hold of this man and he covers him. We're told that when all the people hear about the story and they come back, they see the man clothed. That detail matters. Jesus covers our shame. And then at the end, he tells this man, hey, go home. In other words, enter back into civilized society. Be protected. Live in a house again, man. It's amazing. We um, third said that the demons are aiming here to isolate this man. That he couldn't even be kept in human company. They would shackle him. They would put bonds and all these things on him and try to keep him in civilized society. But the demons would cause him to rip out of these chains and run off into the desert where he could be alone. And we made note of the fact that guilt leads to shame, leads to isolation. This is all how the devil's kind of, this is what he's up to in our lives. He wanted to go where no one else was. He wanted to be alone, isolated. But then Jesus finds this man in the wilderness, out there in the desert, all alone, and he welcomes him, right? He welcomes him. He invites him into fellowship with himself, which again is why we read when the people come and they see him, where is this man but sitting at the feet of Jesus in community again. Fourth and finally, we said the demons aim to kill uh, that the man uh, lived not just out in the desert, but actually among the tombs that he just like reeked of death, that he felt at home among the dead. 
And not just even uh, where he, you know, chose to to live and hang out, uh, kind of reeks of death, but also what we gather is that uh, when we look at Mark's account of this story, I mean, even his own activity was trending towards death. He would take stones and gash and cut and slash his own flesh. Just bleeding just felt right to this brother. I'm just ready to... Put me in the tomb already. That's where he was. That's what the demons are after in his life, ultimately destroying uh, the one who's been created in the image of God. But then Jesus gets a hold of him and he brings him back to life. So at the end, what we see is not only is he washed, not only is he clothed, not only is he sitting at the feet of Jesus, but we read there in verse 35 that he is in his right mind. He's alive. Again, that's what Jesus does for us. That's how he comes and contradicts the work of the devil in our lives. Everything the devil is after Jesus, the Messiah has come to contradict. Hence the messianic contradiction. Now, why do I take a few minutes to review that? Why is that important to look back at? Well, I think it's because if you notice, um, looking closely now at our text again, our story doesn't end with this man's healing. And hang with me here. What we see at the close is that Jesus actually heals this man so that he might become an instrument of healing in the lives of others. What I'm seeing in our text in this story is that uh, Jesus contradicts the work of the devil in, I don't want to break that, in Jesus contradicts the work of the devil in this man's life so that he may become an instrument of contradiction in the lives of others. He might participate with Jesus in this mission against the devil in others' lives. Reaching others, saving others, telling others about this one. Partnering with Christ in a sort of supporting cast sort of way to wash and, 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 and welcome and cover and revive people. That's one of the reasons why we look at, you know, the fires going on in NorCal and we go, man, how can we get there? Because our God covers, our God comes and welcomes those that have been hurting and cleans them up and brings them back to life. And in a sort of secondary way, we get to partner with Him in that. We want to go there and love on people and lead them to the one who can Truly wash them, truly cover them, truly welcome them. Truly make things right again. So that's where this story goes. Verse 39 ends our our text like this. Return to your home, Jesus says, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away. Proclaiming throughout the whole city, we read, how much Jesus had done for him. That's the note the story ends on. Not just his healing. Not just Jesus' contradiction of the devil in his own life. But now you go and do likewise. 
Go and tell them about me. Tell others about me. Be an instrument of healing in the lives of others. So the title of today's message, therefore, is not Jesus and demons, the messianic contradiction, but now Jesus and demons, the messianic commission. He's been called. He's been commissioned. Now he's been given a mission. And you and I are as well. To start to do that sort of contradicting work in the lives of others. As we look more closely at this text, um, three principles are going to emerge towards this end. First, my staying is going. Second, my story is glory. Third, my blessing is yours. These are all going to help us kind of understand what does it look like to be commissioned by Jesus in this work? How do we start to partner? What does this mean? Just give you three principles. But before I can unpack these, um, what I first need to do is bring your attention to what initially seems to be a very disturbing observation. So I read this and I, and I noticed this. I was like, no way. This just doesn't seem right. Let me show you this. Because from this observation, the, the principles will really come into view. Uh, it occurred to me as I read this text that the only request, the only request that Jesus denies, and there are many requests throughout the narrative, the only request that Jesus denies in our text is the one that uh, is asked or requested by this healed, restored man. I wonder if you noticed the demons have requests for Jesus. The demons come begging Jesus for something. They say, man, don't torment us. They say, don't send us into the abyss, but rather, uh, please, Jesus, send us into the pigs. They have their own set of requests. And we read verse 32. He gives them permission. He grants it. Go ahead, get in. The, what Mark tells us is about 2,000 pigs. Go ahead. It gives them permission. That's something we're going to look at next week. Just a little uh, teaser there. <laughs> That's troubling, is it not? The townspeople come and they beg Jesus. They have a request. It's not a good one either. Did you notice? They come and they beg him. They, they, they see this, this amazing work and this man who's been restored. And you would think, man, they'd all follow Jesus. We go, wow, do this in our lives. Man, can we have you around? Come on, i got to show you to my family. No, they say, get away. They beg Jesus to leave. Whether that's from just fear and awe alone at, at what sort of power and, and raw you know, force this man has access to, or whether it has something to do with the 2,000 pigs that now caused economic troubles for you know, them and their posse. And they're like, man, we got this guy's trouble. Get him out of here. We don't really know, but we know that they came and they say, go, leave. And Jesus grants that request. He goes. So the demons have something to ask of Jesus. The townspeople have something to ask of Jesus. And then in verse 38, here comes our healed man with a request of his own. One that we can certainly understand and sympathize with. He just simply says, I want to go with you. <laughs> Don't leave me here. I mean, this place is scary. How 
do I know the demons won't come back? How do I know that I'm safe? I just want to go with you. We think, man, now that's worthy of granting, is it not? That's the one that we look at and say, yes, this guy wants to follow. He wants to leave everything behind. He wants to reset the course of his life. He wants to go with Jesus. Jesus spends so much of his ministry trying to get guys to do this. Foxes have holes, you know, birds have nests. Are you sure you really want to follow me? No, I don't think so. You know, uh, can I follow you? But I got to go bury my dead. Nah, you know, you got to leave that now and come and follow me. Uh, I don't know. Okay, rich young, rich young ruler, go sell all you have and then come follow me. Uh, I don't know. Here's a guy who's going, I'm ready. Let me follow. He says, no. I can't grant that. I can't grant that. He gives permission to the demons, but he does not give permission to this man. We read verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away. Verse 38. Or as Mark 5.19 tells us, he did not permit him. We look at that and we just go, why? Why? Well, the short answer is because of the Messianic Commission. If you keep reading, Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. In other words, I don't permit you to come with me now because I have a mission for you here. It's not that I don't want you around. (laughs) It's that I have a mission for you here. Now we're ready for those three Principles. First, my staying, maybe it makes sense now, my staying is going. We're going to spend most of our time on this first one, a little bit less time on the second one, almost no time on the third one. That's typically how my uh, preparation works. I end up by the end going, oh, shoot, it's way too long. Okay, well, point number three is going to be a couple minutes. (laughs) My staying is going. This brother desperately wants to go with Jesus. He's ready to leave it all. But Jesus looks at him and says, in essence, if you want to go hard for me, stay here. If you want to go hard for me, stay here in your hometown. Be a disciple here among the people you grew up with. Be a missionary here among familiar streets. Familiar uh, sights, familiar faces. Be a missionary here. This brother's staying is going. His mission field is his hometown. And I I wonder if we get this. Let, Let me ask you, Christian, according to the Bible, are you a missionary? Are you a missionary? According to the Bible, are you a missionary? Now, I fear I run the risk of unsettling perhaps some of us by my response here. But I think the answer is yes. 
that you and I are called, are missionaries here in San Jose. Now, whether we're living out that call, whether we're acting on that call is another story. But I think on authority of the Bible, we can say we are missionaries of the Most High God right here in our hometown. Now, on the one hand, I fear that my answer will unsettle those of us who have um, a narrower understanding of what a missionary is. Um, and I don't mean to downplay this at all, but but so those that kind of have a, a, a narrower definition of missionary will feel like I'm devaluing the uh, the sacrifice of those who have really left it all, like literally to go to foreign lands and bring the gospel there. And, and my intention in calling all of us missionaries is not to devalue that at all. I mean, you esteem that. They are worthy of esteem, those who would take such risks for Jesus Christ. But while I'm not attempting to devalue that, I am attempting to include us in that radical call. I am attempting, attempting to include us in that missionary uh, call of God. That they're not some other, they don't have some other set of things that God has called them to and we get to be here. No, we'll see in a moment. I don't think that's the case at all. We ought to live radical right here. Picking up our cross, following Jesus, right here. Now, it seems we have this whole set of um, qualifications that, that we've attached to this idea of a missionary. I'll give you a few of them. Um, we might think things like this. It means that you get money from the church. So it means you live on support, right? Missionaries are those guys that send you a letter um, asking for prayer and asking for finances. Help. You know, and then they'll send you updates uh, to if you've been supporting them, things like that. Uh, so they get money. They get support from the church. I, I don't, I'm not a missionary. Or we think that it means you go somewhere else, especially overseas. There's something magical about crossing a sea. That If you do that, you're a missionary. If you're in a foreign land, you're a missionary. I don't know what it is, but that's how we think. Or... Uh, we also might think it just simply means you're, 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 um, you're a part of the kind of hardcore brand of Christianity. You're like those, one of those guys that, um, memorizes the book of Leviticus, you know, cause it's particularly edifying for you. Or you're one of those guys, I actually had a roommate like this, who you, you would sleep on the floor rather than a bed because it reminds you that this place isn't your home. Like those are missionary types. They're the kind of people that they're always traveling around and passing out tracts and they're going hard for the gospel. We look at those sorts of people, those qualifications, we say that's what it means to be a missionary. It certainly doesn't mean that you stay in one place and live a quote unquote normal Christian life among familiar places and people. For the long haul. That's not a missionary. But I'm looking at this text and I think I'm seeing it is. So I want to know, where did we get these qualifications? I don't think we find this sort of thing in the Bible. 
I think Oswald Chambers is, is a little bit more in line with it when he writes this. A missionary is someone sent by Jesus Christ just as he, Jesus Christ, was sent by God. In other words, what makes you a missionary is not where you're sent, like, oh, foreign land or over there. But if, in fact, you are, that's the issue. Has God sent you? So now here's the question. Let's repackage this. And let me ask you again. Has God sent you to San Jose? Are you called to be a disciple of Christ? To take up your cross and follow him in the Bay Area of California? Are you called to to be an ambassador for Jesus when you walk into uh, Apple's headquarters where you work on Monday morning? Are you an ambassador there? Has Jesus sent you to be an ambassador there? When you walk into the YMCA off Santa Teresa Boulevard to get your sweat on or whatever, has Jesus sent you to be an ambassador there? Are you... Me, are we called to be the salt and light of not just the world, but our neighborhood? You know, Jesse James Drive. Is that, is that my call? Have I been sent by, am I a sent one of Jesus? Am I a missionary for him? Yes. Yes. And now perhaps you see I'm, I'm, starting to unsettle a, a different group of people. There's some of them, oh, you're, you're devaluing the great sacrifice of, of missions. I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want to include us in that work. I had a whole exposition on this, but think about it. Where did, where, where did Jesus send uh, his disciples in the Great Commission? Where did he send them first in Acts 1-8? Your hometown. Go to Jerusalem. The whole great missions movement that would spread to the ends of the earth began in their hometown. So we can't dice it up and say, here you're doing missions and here you're not. We're missionaries right here in Jerusalem. Anyways, where was I? I don't remember what I was. Oh, (laughs) I'm unsettling a different group of people at this point. There are some who have that same narrow definition of what a missionary is. And they kind of like it that way because they're kind of thankful that they don't have to be that. Like, okay, a missionary is someone who's done all those things and is that kind of a person and is out there. I get to kind of be the sender. Okay, I like that. I get to make the money. I get to live in the States, have a nice life and give a good tithe so that people can go and do their missionary thing. I, I, I read about missionaries. I hear about this. I don't like this idea. Going and the sacrifice and the cross bearing and the, perhaps the persecution and sharing the gospel everywhere you go. I don't like that idea. I, I'm happy to be, you know, supporting from the homeland. And now here I am. And I'm saying, if you are in Christ, you are a missionary. Period. Some are called to leave. Maybe a few of you. Others are called to stay, but all of us are called to go hard for the gospel wherever Jesus sends us.
That's what I'm seeing in this text. In the case of this healed man, his missionary call was to go hard by staying. Or in the words of Jesus, return to your home and declare. Return to your home. There's a mission field there. Go home, stay, and you'll be going hard for me. He wasn't sent home um, because he wasn't hardcore enough. You know, Jesus didn't quiz him on the book of Leviticus and say, no, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. You got to go home. No, he sent him home because he has a mission for him there. He is a missionary. We are missionaries. So let me ask you, is your staying, is it going? Is your staying going? Are you returning and declaring with missional intentionality among familiar places and people? Uh, it seems to me that sometimes this can actually be the harder work. Um, if you've been on a mission trip or something like that, then you know what typically happens is you get all geared up for it, Right? You get all geared up. I mean, you're meeting together with your team. You're praying. You're fasting. You're planning. You're strategizing. You're asking all your friends to pray. You're emailing out and letting everybody know what's going on. You're gearing up. I mean, your devotions before the mission trip were, were you know, pathetic. But once you signed up to actually go somewhere for Jesus, you're like, yeah, I got to get in the word. Oh, my gosh. You know, I got to know how to share the gospel. Oh, my goodness. You gear up for this. And what can happen when you don't have a mission trip lined up or whatever, and it's just everyday life, Monday to Friday, going to work, and Saturday I get to kick up my feet, Sunday I got to go listen to some guy talk to me for an hour, and then I get to watch football. You get, you get in the flow of just everyday common mundane things. And here's what happens. We often lose sight of the mission among the mundane. We lose sight of it. When we should be gearing up just to say, I gotta get in the word. I'm gonna see my co-workers today. What am I gonna say? I gotta fast. Hey, friends, family, pray for me. I'm a missionary in San Jose. There's something I hope to do um, in 2018. This sermon is going to go longer because all these things I cut out, I'm putting in. Sorry, putting back in. Sorry about that. I'll do my best. But there's something I want to do in 2018. Um, you could pray for it. Call, uh, call it Mission 408. 408 being our zip code. Um, I'd love to do a local mission trip. Okay, I'd love to. If, if you've been on a mission trip before, I'd love to get together with you. What can we do here? Not, not so that it becomes a week and then we're done, but to stimulate a mission lifestyle in our hometown. I've wanted to do this since I arrived and hopefully uh, this next year we'll be able to do something like that. But I, I want to be able to learn what's here. So it's not just like, hey, we go away and we do cool stuff. But like, wow, I didn't, and my neighborhoods are, it's exploding with possibilities. The downtown is exploding with possibilities for living missionally for God every day. 
want that in our church. Uh, but let me give you one example of this. Um, I remember reading something in the Babylon Bee, which if you know, <laughs> you're already laughing. It's, <laughs> you don't even know what I'm talking about. It's a Christian news satire website. It is funny. Um, but sadly, I could really relate to this article. I, I'm t- I'm, again, I'm talking about, can we, can we miss our mission field among the mundane? Um, let me read you this. Uh, the, t- the title is <laughs> Father of Three Wonders When He'll Get a Chance to Influence Others for Christ. And he goes on, stating that he had been feeling a sense of purposelessness and melancholy for some months now. Local father of three, Andrew Harbaugh, recently began wondering when he would ever get a chance to impact anyone for the sake of Christ. Sources close to him confirmed Thursday. Harbaugh reportedly spends his days working 10 hours at a desk job and his nights talking and playing with his three children. I just wish, quote, God would place a few people in my life for whom I could make an eternal difference, Harbaugh told reporters, his head in his hands. I just don't have time to do anything for the kingdom of God while I provide for my family and spend time with my three boys. Surely the Lord will have something important for me to do someday, he added sadly. He further stated that every second of his day is taken up with mundane tasks like instructing and caring for his children, leaving him little to no time to evangelize or influence others for the gospel. Quote, I've just got my hands full with these kids. When will I ever get to do some important kingdom work for God? He lamented. You relate? I relate. Almost every day I relate. I'm trying to prepare a sermon here. Quiet down. Man, I'd be such a better pastor if I didn't have these kids running around. (laughs) Seriously, that was last night. (laughs) But this guy missed the great work God is calling him to. It's right in front of him, but he doesn't have eyes to see it. It's too common. It's too mundane. I'm not a missionary. I want to be a missionary, but I'm tied up. You're a missionary. Right here is your staying going. This is one of the reasons why um, Kosiwa, Sanvi, Megan, and myself have been putting so much time and energy into our children's ministry lately. Uh, we don't want our church, we don't want our families to miss this. We don't want guys like this. <laughs> I wish I could do something for God. I got kids. I've been working on a document that explains our new mission statement for the children's ministry, and I wanted to read you a few lines from it. When we think of the mission field, we we often think of some place on the other side of the world with a sea or two in between. We talk about the 1040 window and the unreached peoples of the world, but do we realize that with the birth of every child, God brings that 1040 window to us? We take an unreached person home with us from the hospital, wrapped warmly in a blanket and strapped tightly in a car seat. The front lines of the mission field lay not out there somewhere across oceans, but right here across from us in the living room, sitting next to us in high chairs around our dinner tables. To be sure, we desire to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, but we begin by bringing the gospel to our children. You hearing me on that? All right. I think I've said enough. 
You might be familiar with um, Ephesians 6 and those verses about um, spiritual warfare. You know, how we put on the armor of God and we do battle against the spiritual realms and powers of darkness and all this epic stuff you read it in, like verses 10 onward in Ephesians 6. Did you ever notice the context? Did you ever notice Paul's flow of thought? Immediately preceding this this cosmic you know, uh, discussion of, of warfare and battling Satan and all this. You want to know what he's talking about? How you're conducting yourself with your wife and your husband. How children and parents are relating. How bosses and employees are getting along. And then he goes, so put on the armor of God. Because you're doing war against the devil in the most mundane moments of your life. You want to be a part of the contradicting work of Jesus? Put your arm around your spouse after a fight. You send the devil screaming. It's amazing. Don't miss the mission field among the mundane. Go hard for Jesus by staying right here on mission. Return to your home and declare. All right, number two. Number two. My story is glory. My story is glory. So first, my going, or my staying is going out. My story is glory. We're not told exactly why this man um, so desperately begs to travel along with Jesus, although obviously we can understand and imagine countless reasons. One of those reasons, I think, you guys, is the desire to start over, to start a new life. Like, who wants to go back to the place where they know you were the dude who was running around naked, cutting yourself, screaming, howling at kids? Who wants to go back to that? Let, let me let me go and start afresh. I, I burn my bridges here, probably in his case, literally. Let me go and start over. I want a new life. And we get that, right? Oftentimes we treat things we've things we've blown up in our past, things we've done wrong. That's kind of how we think is okay, the way to, to, to get this right is to actually just start over again. So if I blew this relationship, I'm just going to cut her off. It's over. I need someone new to start with. Or if I blew that job, I'm not going to kind of work through it. I just need to go. I need a new new start. It's, it's too far gone now. And so we get this sort of mentality because we're kind of prone to the same thing. And Jesus won't let us do it. Jesus won't let him do it. Why? Because his story is glory. And you know what? His story is God's glory. His story displays the glory of God. Don't go hiding that. Don't go hiding what I just did. No, 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 no. You go back to the people that know all that you used to be so that when they see who I've now made you, they will just go, no way. No way. His story is for God's glory. You see, there's going to be whispers. There's going to be double takes. 
as he walks by, there's going to be gossip. And it's going to be hard for this man to face it. Because these are people maybe he grew up with. This is his hometown. Everyone's, is that who I think it is? I think about, wow, are you serious? Oh my, get over here. Everyone's talking. Everyone's pointing. But you want to know what they'll be gossiping about by the end of it all? They'll be gossiping about the glory of God. They'll be saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Wasn't that the guy we'd hear howling out among the tombs at night? Wasn't that the guy who was foaming at the mouth and we'd like, when we were walking with the kids, we'd like take the long way home just to avoid him? Wasn't that the, no, it couldn't be the guy. Wait, yes it is. I see the scars all over his hands and feet where he would gash himself with rocks. That's him. How in the, who? Jesus. Jesus did this. His story is for Christ's glory. Because they knew what, what his background was. They were primed to see what God's grace can do with a man. Now, I, I, it made me think a little bit of um, Paul the Apostle here. Remember how he had no hesitation saying, listen, I am the chief of sinners. He owned his story. He owned his past. He owned where he came from because he knew it was to God's glory. All that self-righteousness, all that rebellion, all that persecution. He said, man, (laughs) it just serves to show you what God can do with a man. When he gets a hold of him, he wasn't ashamed and hiding and editing his story and wanting to go somewhere where nobody knew. If he went someplace where people didn't know him, that was the first thing he'd tell them. Do you know who I used to be? (laughs) Now I'm a trophy of God's grace. So Jesus sends this guy home because those are the people that know the story. Not going to let him rewrite and get out. No, no, no. Story is part of the glory. And this is this is uh, actually kind of my story as well, interestingly enough, although obviously not as dramatic as this one, but I mean God got a hold of my life in college. I mean I was so anti, I was so opposed. God gets a hold of my life, and what happens? It was, it was so exciting. Oh my gosh, it was, I pray for this sort of thing again. It was so exciting because there's this ripple effect of conversions in my life. This, people saw and they said, Are you serious? So I go into the landscape architecture lab. It was, I was, that was my major at the time. There were no believers. God saves me, and then suddenly, by the end of it, it's like, they're, they're, go, they're dropping like flies. You know, it's amazing. Because they go, seriously, that guy? We used to do cake stands with that guy. What is going on? He's changed. I want that. Or then I felt called to go home, return and declare. So summer, I, you know, all my friends are hanging out at the beach. I'm like, I got to go home and tell my parents about this. My mom at first thinks I'm in a cult. She's looking up Campus Crusade online. going, what is Nick doing? Talking about Jesus all the time. By the end of the summer, they're dropping like flies. My dad, I'll never forget this. Never. He looks at me and he says, Nick, you used to be the most selfish Kid I've ever known. Person, actually, is what he said. I was just a kid. He said, now I wouldn't even know who you were. I don't even know who you are anymore. Gives his life to the Lord. My mom gives her life to the Lord. 
My sister ends up giving her life to the Lord. She's just like, wow, because you're a trophy of God's grace. Because they know your story, the backstory. They go, man, no way did you do that. So let me in on some of that. Where'd this come from? It's amazing. It's amazing. My story is glory. So I don't know your story. I, I, I do know, though, that we're prone to edit it, right? I do know that we're prone to kind of cut out those things that we're a little ashamed of, embarrassed of, and not let people see. And I, I think this text is coming, getting in our face a little bit in that temptation to say, man, don't hide. Let people see not just the struggles of your past, but right now. What you're dealing with, the anxieties, the sins, the stuff that you've got going on. Because if you let people see that, well, guess what? Then they'll also get to see when Jesus comes in and changes and restores and heals and meets you in it. If they don't see that stuff, they won't see the glory. So don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Don't edit. Share. Be real. And they'll see him at work in your life. Third and finally, this is where we'll close. My Blessing is yours. Uh, So my staying is going. My story is glory. My blessing now is yours. This really just brings our discussion full circle. Um, Jesus sends this man home to spread the blessing. We don't just become dams of God's blessing. We become conduits of it. So my blessing is yours. If he moves in my life, it's because he wants to do something in yours. So he sends this guy home. All right, I contradicted the demon's work in your life. Now go participate in that kind of work in the life of others. Go cover, wash, welcome, love them back to life. Let's do this together. Go. My blessing is yours. Isn't it just like our Savior to commission broken, sinful people and allow them to actually participate with him in his mission? It is amazing. I mean, who in the world are we? And this is just like quintessential example of this. Everybody would have looked at his life and said, this guy's a lost cause. It's over for this brother. He's going to be dead before the week you know, ends. And then Jesus shows up and everything changes. His life is set on new footing. There's a new hope. There's a new purpose. There's a new mission. Everything has changed. The man who was devastatingly destructive to any who would come by, even a threat to himself, is now a source of blessing in the very city he once haunted. Do you understand that? How amazing that is. He is now a source of blessing. You just have to imagine this man's ministry. Because of where Jesus had taken him. Because he's there in his hometown. Imagine his ministry. So, Paul the Apostle. I just mentioned him. He could say, I'm chief of sinners. And because of that, he would draw out there in 1 Timothy 1.15 that, hey, if, if God would be patient with me, the chief of sinners, he will be patient with you. He can save you through the cross as well. Look at what I did and what he's done with me. He can do it with you. Now, imagine this man's ministry. Imagine what this man can say. I was as filthy as they come. You didn't want to know the kind of stuff that was rumbling around in my heart. And Jesus washed me. I was, I was as ashamed, embarrassed, exposed as they come. I didn't want to show my face 
anywhere so embarrassed by what I would do and all the stuff that my story became. Jesus came and he covered me. He clothed me. He took away my shame. I was isolated, I was lonely, I was depressed. I got I was as far away from humanity as you could be. And Jesus came, found me there, and he welcomed me. Brought me into fellowship with him. I, mean, I was dying. I was as close to death as a, as a living man can be. Just a heartbeat away, it seemed. And look at what he's done with my life now. And I'm here to tell you, if he can do that for me, he can do it for you. Imagine his ministry in his hometown as a missionary. Isn't it awesome? The messianic contradiction gives way to the messianic commission. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. John 20, 21. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would help us now. Open our eyes to the mission field beneath our feet. Help us, God, to go hard by staying. Help us, God, not to edit our stories to preserve our own glory, but to share the raw, unedited versions so that you get the glory. And help us, God, to take the blessing you give us, even in this place, and go forward with it to be a blessing to others. God, we want to be a part of the greater work you're doing. Thank you, Lord. We know it all begins with your work. On the cross where you suffered, where you died for us, where you rose again from the dead. Something new has begun among the tombs. Our Savior is risen, and we're risen in Him. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.